Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week. Jackie Baumgarten is named after her grandfather, Jack. That's why her given name is spelled J-A-C-L-Y-N, Jacqueline. She never met her grandfather, though. He died before she was born. But I'm told I carry his fighting spirit. He was a boxer. Jackie says he fought in the early part of the 20th century in Chicago. Back then, boxers usually had to knock out their opponents to score a win. They called him the kid, Herman the Kid. That's what he was called. He was called the kid. Today, Baumgarten is fighting to create a new market using a 21st century business model, the peer-to-peer sharing economy. Instead of rooms in a house or a seat in your car, Baumgarten wants boat owners to be able to rent out their boats by the day or half day. She is co-founder and CEO of Boat Setter, one of the first peer-to-peer boat rental platforms. It works kind of like Airbnb. Boat owners list their vessels for rent, and people who want to get out on the water for a day but don't have a boat can then rent one. My happiest memories as a kid and my childhood was being out on the water with my three brothers, my father, learning to water ski, Fourth of July, watching the fireworks out on the water, you know, barbecues out on uh, on the boat. Were you a good water skier? No. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but no, I'm not that good. Baumgarten grew up in Southern California, but family visits each summer to the Midwest meant days on freshwater lakes. And it's those memories that led her to start her own peer-to-peer boat rental platform after working in the corporate world for more than a decade. It was one of those times when uh, my father, who was a workaholic, when he was there on the boat, was completely present. And we were able to form lasting memories. So that's what drew me to it. In 2012 in San Francisco, she started cruising, what she calls the first fully insured peer-to-peer boat-sharing network. Two years later, Cruisin merged with another boat-sharing company, this one called Boat Setter, based here. The newly combined company meant the end of the name of Baumgarten's original company, but she became the CEO and moved to South Florida. In the four years since then, Boat Setter has attracted millions of dollars in investment. Baumgarten has emerged as a top technology entrepreneur, and the business has expanded across continents. I like to think of Boat Setter as the Airbnb for experiences on the water. So whether you'd like to go deep-sea fishing, cruising, sandbar hopping, snorkeling, celebrating a bachelorette party. We can provide any experience that you're looking for on the water, and we do it in a really unique way. Boat Setter is a marketplace and a community where we connect people in a way that they've never been connected before in the marine industry. So what we do is we bring together, for the first time, gorgeous privately owned boats that can now be rented to people who can easily access those boats through their phone or their computer, and we have a third component. We have the largest database of U.S. Coast Guard licensed captains that we can assign to any boat. So you can pick the captain, if you want one, and the experience that he or she provides. How much of an influence and inspiration was Airbnb for Boat Setter? Very much an inspiration. Um, Not only Airbnb, but other marketplaces that have enabled individuals to be able to monetize underutilized assets. And so back in 2012, I knew that there really wasn't an asset that is less utilized and more expensive than a boat. And at the time, when I had the idea of creating this marketplace, I knew that before it could exist, I had to solve one fundamental problem. It was a financial problem, easy enough to identify, but difficult to fix for a new market putting people who didn't own a boat out on the water. Insurance. So if you're a boat owner, you'll know that your recreational insurance policy excludes coverage if you rent or charter. And so that was the fundamental first challenge that we had to solve. 
and I spent eight months learning everything I could about primary claims in, in recreational insurance policies, how we would develop our operations to mitigate those risks, and pitching insurance underwriters. And after eight months, I finally found a leading global um, maritime underwriter to work with me to build the first peer-to-peer insurance policy. And that's how the marketplace launched. What's interesting about this is it wasn't a technological problem. It wasn't uh, a a market challenge, uh, a customer problem. It was strictly a financial issue that you had to solve for and mitigating the financial risk that exists inherent in the business model that you were trying to build. It was the first challenge, um, addressing the liability component. An, an enormous challenge, though. Without being able to address that, you'd not be able to build the business model. You wouldn't have the confidence of having the for-profit commercial model of a peer-to-peer sharing network. Very true. Very true. So once we solved that, then we realized we had a real value proposition for private boat owners and for the renters. As boring as insurance may sound, certainly compared to a day out on the water, it is key to the success that you have experienced in Boat Setter. How important has that insurance side been to the success of the company? It is fundamental to enabling a marine peer-to-peer marketplace. And the reason it's so critical and how it works is when you put your boat on Boat Setter, our insurance policy, which today is with Geico Marine Boat US, becomes primary and exclusive. So it protects the boat, the boat owner, the renter, and the captain. It's fundamentally critical to enable this type of transaction in a safe, legal uh, manner. Additionally, what it does is it prevents disintermediation. Because somebody who may want to circumvent Boat Setter to try and cut a deal with an owner on the docks, an owner's never going to agree to that because they wouldn't be protected. The fact that this type of insurance uh, uh, was so new, uh, what kind of confidence do you have that you're paying a good fair market rate for it and that your clients are paying a fair good market rate for it? Because ultimately, it's going to be the person renting the vessel that is going to pick up the tab for this premium. So it is an expensive policy. And it varies depending on the vessel, the age of the vessel, the speed of the vessel, the condition of the vessel. And it's part of our unit economics. Over time, as we scale, it's one of my core objectives to find ways both to mitigate and lower loss ratio and to renegotiate our premiums. Um, But what we do is we work very closely hand-in-hand with Geico Marine Boat US to the point where we're actually technically integrated into our platform. So when you're listing a boat or you're renting a boat, there's a series of questions or fields that you go through. But what many people don't realize is that's actually taking place with somebody live at Geico Marine while it's on Boat Setter's Marketplace. So we work hand-in-hand very closely, and we communicate regularly. I fly to D.C. to meet with them on a quarterly basis, and we talk about what we can do to improve our product to help mitigate risk. So from that, there's new features that have come out this year, for example. For Boat Setter or just for the marketplace? All for Boat Setter. Boat Setter is the marketplace. (laughs) I guess by the marketplace, I mean also other marine uh, insurance policies. 
No, so right now, this is the only leading peer-to-peer marine insurance policy, and we are the only marketplace in the United States that um, properly insures and provides these protections. So again, think about that from a market side, right, Jackie? I mean, Mm -hmm. you're the only buyer of this product. Correct. Doesn't give you a whole lot of leverage, right? So as you mentioned, it's expensive. How expensive is it? Like, what kind of piece does this look like in the uh, in the financial spreadsheets? It's a significant piece of our unit economics. So I think about my business down to the unit economic. Um, well, is it more than labor? It fluctuates between 30 to 50 percent of our gross profit on a unit economic basis. And do you see that changing? I do, absolutely. And what's influencing that? Because that presumably could drop right down to your bottom line and turn into profit. Well, this is where we're working very closely and hand-in-hand with the insurance company to identify features and services that we can put into boats that are service offering to mitigate risk. So, for example, adding and assigning multiple captains to a single boat that a renter can choose from helps reduce risk because then you have a qualified, certified individual behind the helm. Secondly, we've created an owner's app that has a day of transaction guideline, which shows them all of the safety inspection criteria that they go through with the renter. It has a full what we call check-in, check-out process. When the renter and the owner goes through this, and this is something that was certified and provided by U.S. Coast Guard, it mitigates risk, not only um, ensuring that people know where safety equipment is, how to operate the vessel, but more importantly, you can identify any pre-existing damage, that's obvious, and it prevents that from being claimed at a later date. Going forward, as you look at these innovations, these innovations that you have been successful in working into the marine insurance model that Boatsetter has and rests upon, do those have applications beyond the peer-to-peer, the sharing uh, type of uh, venture that Boatsetter is involved in? In other words, the, the boat owner that is not part of the platform and doesn't plan on being part of the platform but still has to carry marine insurance. I think the principles that we're implementing are sound for anyone to use um, because it's not just about risk mitigation, it's about making sure that people are safe, educated, and aware before getting out on the water. So, you know, if you go to boatsetter.com, there are links there that take you to all of the state um, legal requirements for boating, as well as on-water safety courses. All of these things can be utilized whether somebody is on the platform or not and help improve the experience of getting people out on the water. And is it one single policy? Is it, uh, does each vessel have its own policy? Does each captain have his or her own policy? So we have two types of boats on our platform. We have the privately owned boats, and those are covered by the Boat US Geico Marine Policy. And then we have professional operators that have their own existing commercial policy. So let's just look at that second half, the peer-to-peer um, boat owners. In that case, we do have an umbrella policy for the company, but every individual boat and boat owner is added to their particular um, policy. So every boat has to be approved, vetted by the insurance company, and every captain. By Boat Setters Insurance Company. Which is 
Geico Marine Boat right. US. Right. Not by the vessel owner's personal insurance company. That is for correct. That is correct. Because in theory, the boat owner's primary insurance policy is not in effect during the rental. And what about the second bucket, the uh, professional operators? Professional operators. They have their own commercial policies, and we are we ask to be named as a additional insured on the policy. And then pay for that privilege. We do not pay for that. You do not pay for that privilege. No. no. Huh. Okay. There's no cost to the operator for doing that. Boat Setter CEO Jackie Baumgarten. Her three-party insurance solution covering the company, the boat owner, and the renter is central to Boat Setter's business. It is built right into the transaction. Boat owners don't need special insurance. The boat renters have to be approved and the business is protected. It's been vital to fueling the growth of Boat Setter to managing 5,000 vessels. So, still to come, building a business on boating, but without boats. We do not own or control or maintain control of any of the vessels on the platform. We are far more akin to an Airbnb and an Uber. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks again for listening and supporting public radio. I'm Tom Hudson. The sharing economy is an inaccurate description of what companies like Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, and BoatSetter have created. These companies have built technologies allowing you to lease out part of what you already own, a car, a house, a boat, and get paid for it. You're not sharing it exactly. You're not giving it away to somebody after all. You're getting paid for it. Peer-to-peer is a better, more accurate, if less aesthetically sounding description of these companies' businesses. What is central to their identity is what people are renting rather than the ability to do it. Uber and Lyft are transportation network companies, not transportation companies. Airbnb is adamant that it is not in the accommodations business, but is an accommodations marketplace. Boat sharing network, Boat Setter, takes the same tack. The company is based in Fort Lauderdale. We spoke with CEO Jackie Baumgarten recently. Boat Setter is a platform. It's a marketplace. What we do is connect people, people who want to get out on the water with boats and boat owners and captains. We do not own or control or maintain control of any of the vessels on the platform. We are far more akin to an Airbnb and an Uber. And then what does that mean for regulation, though? Uh, Because Uber and Lyft, for instance, have run afoul of uh, certain kinds of Uh, taxi uh, regulations at airports. Airbnb continues to have difficulty in some municipalities regarding the remittance of uh, hotel taxes. Uh, It collects them, but in some cases says that they're not the hotel company, they're not a lodging company, for instance. Are there other similar regulations that Boatsetter sees because it is a platform, sees itself as a technology company, not an asset owner, that it is not subject to, that it would be if it did have the assets? Not that I'm aware of. I'll give you an example. Certain marinas have their own restrictions around commercial use. So what we have done, um, both in Chicago and in Miami, in certain municipal marinas, is we've worked to develop the first peer-to-peer permits 
to allow owners within those marinas to be able to participate on the boat setter platform. So at Bill Bird Marina, for example, we are the only marketplace that uh, the city of Miami has has ever approved for peer-to-peer use, and we we put that permit in place about a year and a half ago. What what drew the necessity for the permit? Being able to start the rental at the dock in the marina. Because it's a municipal marina. Correct. Understood. Right. So you would be could be considered a vendor, for instance, of the city or the county or the government entity that owns the marina. True. So so each marina has its own requirements or their own rules for their tenants in the slips. Some have no issues allowing people to participate in this type of use. Others deem it as commercial. So we're more than willing to work with marinas hand in hand to find a solution that makes sense for them. So how's business? <laughs> business is good. We are, you know, it's it's funny. I, I still think of us as an early startup, and we're growing. We we grew almost four and a half x in 2017 to 18. That's based upon uh, gross revenue. Our what we call GMV, which is gross merchandise value, so the transactions on the platform. Is there a difference between that and what would be considered gross revenue? So. What we transact on the platform is the total amount that a renter pays for a boat. We then pay out the owner, we pay out the captains, and what remains is our revenue. Gotcha. So you're seeing four and a half times growth on the merchandise value. That's correct. What does that mean in terms of revenue growth? Uh, also in line with that, but keep in mind, because we have two different types of boats on our platform, we have different business models and take rates depending on what type of boat operator it is. And so uh, four and a half times sounds like a good annual growth rate, certainly. I think a lot of folks would uh, uh, would be jealous of that. Um, could you give us any kind of sense of what that is based upon, though? Unfortunately, I can't share How many commas in that number, Jackie? Numbers. I, unfortunately, we can't share that. She did not want to talk about financial details of her company with any specificity. That's Jackie Baumgarten, the CEO of BoatSetter, a peer-to-peer boat rental platform. But how it generates revenue is no secret. BoatSetter collects 35% of a boat owner's rental rate. For professional boaters, the company takes 15% of the rental fee. BoatSetter charges another 10% booking fee. Now, the cost of the insurance to protect the boat owner and the renter is embedded in those fees, which has been the differentiator for Baumgarten when she started her company in San Francisco. I started a company called Cruisin, and it was the very first marketplace for peer-to-peer boat rentals. And in October of 2015, I merged with my now co-founder, Andy Sterner, and we kept the name Boatsetter and launched what is today the boat setter that we all have come to to love and and know. That was uh, in 2015. In 2017, you purchased a competitor, Boatbound. That is correct. In 2018, you uh, reached out into the Mediterranean with Smart Charter Ibiza. That is correct. Uh, uh, Is that fueling your growth? Is there additional merger and acquisition activity that you see in this space? So when I think about growth, at least for boats that are, I'm focusing in three areas. One is far more important right now and our primary focus this year, and that's on organic growth by investing in our product. So we're continuing to invest in improving the website. We're going to be launching a consumer mobile app at the end of the month, which we're very excited about. We've also developed a SaaS product 
for operators. So technology really is the core area of investment for us in how we will continue to scale long term. Second area of growth is through channel partnerships. Finding partnerships with companies like Airbnb through luxury retreats, Inspirado, and being able to provide these marketplaces where people are traveling to a destination and giving them the opportunity to add a day out on the water. The third area of growth is M&A. And yes, I am very much open and considering M&A as a strategic way to be able to grow internationally, particularly to add new services. SAS software as service? Correct. Uh, Cloud-based services, in other words, for us folks that don't live in the technology world. What's the opportunity for Boatsetter in that world? Well, I'm glad you asked. What we've built is a tool that charter operators can use to efficiently manage their fleets. So this is for all those local private operators with 10 to a couple hundred boats who want to be far more efficient in managing their fleet, in managing their calendaring, even giving them the ability to be able to take commerce on their own website. Now, we're giving this to them almost for free. And the reason we're doing this is because then that inventory that they have, we then can list on our marketplace on Boatsetter, and it gives us real-time booking capabilities. So it improves the experience for our customers on our core product so that when they know they come to Boatsetter, they're getting immediate and accurate information on the So boats. you don't see that as mission creep because you're able to coordinate that back into your core business you're it, shaking your head. There. No, I, I, it's completely in alignment with supporting our core business and our core mission. In terms of the organic growth that mm-hmm. you are uh, seeing and planning for, that organic growth that you're seeing, Jackie, is that all domestic? Is it all U.S.? And, and, and where is it coming from geographically? So it is not just U.S.-based. We have expanded in top 15 markets throughout the U.S., We're also growing very actively in Mexico in key travel destinations. And Ibiza, the Balearic Islands, we have a stronghold there. And we're growing and expanding into Croatia and the Caribbean. Nothing in Asia? Not yet. Not yet. Actually, we have have some boats in Phuket. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. How'd that happen? We were asked, and we went out and found them. Speaking with Boatsetter CEO Jackie Baumgarten, Boatsetter is a peer-to-peer boat rental platform based in Fort Lauderdale, and it has found millions of dollars from investors, but not before Baumgarten's own investment. That's still to come. I put my condominium on the market, put everything I owned in storage. I didn't take a salary for two years, and I'm a very strong believer that I have no right to ask anybody to put a penny into the company unless I put my money in first. This is the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. For several years, South Florida has been working on its technology credentials. Tech incubators, accelerators, pitch competitions, and other efforts have worked to nurture and grow the technology industry, especially tech startups here. Last year, South Florida pulled in more investment money and more investment deals than any other area in the southeastern United States, according to technology conference Emerge Americas, the Knight Foundation, and FIU. 
While the region attracted $1.4 billion in venture capital, it was lumpy investment. Almost 70% of that money went to just one company, Magic Leap, based in Plantation. Magic Leap has raised $2 billion in total for its effort to create augmented reality technology. Healthcare and financial technology were also popular for outside investors, and most of the money came from angel investors, called that because they represent some of the first outside investment money into startup companies. Boatsetter is a peer-to-peer boat rental platform. It's one of those local tech companies attracting outside investors. Jackie Baumgarten started a founding company in San Francisco before moving to Fort Lauderdale. She says the company has attracted $23 million so far. Initially, raising capital was very difficult for me being a first-time CEO and a woman. I didn't have the track record, uh, and I didn't have the existing network to tap into. So after many, 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 many rejections, I decided I had to get scrappy and creative about how to fund this company to get us to the next level where we had the unit economics and the metrics as a standalone company to justify venture investment. And so the way I went about that was I thought about what were the strategic partners that could really benefit from working with Boatsetter. I went and I worked with marina owner-operators. I put partnerships in place with boat manufacturers. I worked with boat towing companies. And together, we did co-marketing campaigns. We built out critical technology and product, things that I would have used that seed capital that would have been dilutive and applied it for those purposes. You have to be creative. You have to be scrappy early on. So that early money didn't take equity ownership. Some of it did. I certainly okay. had friends and family. Um, also, the first money in was mine. I put my condominium on the market, put everything I owned in storage. I didn't take a salary for two years. And I'm a very strong believer that I have no right to ask anybody to put a penny into the company unless I put my money in first. How much was that? I'd rather not share. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you're... Well, I mean, it was my first job. It was the money that I had. It was about 100000 in total. Good investment? Without a doubt. Any idea what that $100,000 is worth now? Well, I think about it as to what it will be worth in the next few years. <laughs> That's how I like to think about it. So what does that look like then? What's, uh, is there an exit uh, strategy here for you and for Boatsetter? We are laser-focused on building an incredible company. And that means scaling, focusing on the building, on the business fundamentals. And I believe continuing to focus on that, we will have plenty of opportunities that will avail themselves to us. Can you do it from South Florida? Is this the place that's going to get the kind of valuation recognition that you would like for this technology platform company being based in Fort Lauderdale as opposed to being based somewhere in Silicon Valley, in Boston, in Austin, in Los Angeles, for that matter? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. Um, and without a doubt, you know, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs here. There's, they face challenges trying to raise money. As a matter of fact, I just spoke with a VC on the West Coast, and he told me because I wasn't in California, they wouldn't invest. So, yes. Point blank, just simply because of where your geography Absolutely. was. The Absolutely. The zip code on your business. Yes, that does that does happen. Did the venture capitalist look at any of your financials? Did he, did you did he or she look at a deck? No. No, not at all. 
But there are a lot of smart investors, and they know that opportunities are not tied to any specific geography. And I have been very fortunate over the years to attract world-class investors, those that have the experience in Silicon Valley that have grown world-class companies to unicorn status, and they see what we're doing. Geography is irrelevant to them. And I think they look and like the fact that there are opportunities where others aren't looking. Maybe there's a, a discount then in that regard, which could come at a price for you as uh, the entrepreneur and, and company owner, but benefit the investor. The the unicorn uh, uh, moniker is that which is describing companies that have a valuation of a billion dollars in a very, very short period of time. Uh, so do you think there is a discount uh, because you're in South Florida as you're looking to raise the capital? I think initially at the seed stage there was. But now the traction and the merits of the business itself and the team we've pulled together, absolutely not. What have you encountered in terms of the ability to scale up here in South Florida? Study after study has has shown that uh, uh, starting a company in South Florida is relatively easy and it's very robust, but the scale up is what this community has had a very difficult time doing. So I think there are advantages here that don't exist in Silicon Valley. The cost of human capital, for example. Typical developer coming out of college in Silicon Valley is getting paid over $200,000. That would be, that, that's not supportable for a company out here. We're able to attract and retain quality talent because the cost of living is lower. We have incredible weather. We have ties to great education systems and there are now a lot of burgeoning organizations here solely focused on growing and supporting the entrepreneurial community. I was so pleasantly surprised when I came out from San Francisco and tapped into the network that exists here. It far surpasses my expectations before I arrived. Were those expectations low in hindsight? Truth be told, I came out here laser focused on the business and I wasn't looking out of the company um, all that much in the first two years to the point where my chairman started to hound me that I had to get far more involved in the community and tap into organizations. And I said to him, Andy, I've got to stay focused on the day-to-day here. I'm building a company. But he was absolutely right, because when I did pick my head up and I started to work with organizations, it availed um, to us and to me opportunities that I didn't even know existed, incredible mentors, incredible resources, and even access to capital. Some of the capital that you have raised for Boat Setter goes back a few years, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. two, three years, uh, even further back. Correct. So oftentimes, those investors are looking for a timeline of a three to five-year payout, for instance. Have you had any of those early investors pull out? No. And ask for their money back? When you start with early investment, particularly angel investors, they're not subject to the time constraints that a venture fund is. So I think most angel investors go in knowing that this is a long-term investment, that there's high risk in investing in early stage companies. As you progress and the scale of the company changes and the type of investors you bring in, it's a different equation. So now when I speak to venture funds, I ask them, where is the fund in its life cycle? Uh, Because I don't want to take money in from a fund that's going to have to liquidate in the next 24 months. I want a partner who's going to stick by me and grow the company and support me investing in the right decisions for the company. 
the ecosystem that you have experienced here in South Florida, the differences that you uh, have experienced compared to what you were experiencing in Silicon Valley, and some of the, the assets that you say are here in South Florida compared to Silicon Valley, is it sustainable? Uh, you know, I go back 20 years or so, and this community uh, was was very uh, technologically focused. Of course, uh, there was it was a much different time in technology in the uh, late 90s compared to where it is today. But in the inevitable economic slowdown that is to come, regardless of, of how it comes and affects the local and regional market here, do you get any sense that the buildup of steam in technology and entrepreneurialism is sustainable as we see a tough uh, economic time comes? So I spend a fair amount of time thinking about this because I'm in the process of fundraising, growing a company. And I, I look at it from two perspectives. One, the fundamentals of the business, and two, capital raising. So let's start with capital raising. I do believe capital will become more difficult to attain in 2020 and beyond. Driven by? Macroeconomic trends. Okay. So and not th- something focused exclusively on South Florida, but just more all. generally speaking. No, I'm talking about broad macro shifts and trends. And so we are focusing now on being lean, very cost-effective, looking at the return on investment for every channel that we're investing in. And I'm looking to fundraise to create enough cushion to ensure that as we build this company and we build it in a very fiscally responsible manner, we can position ourselves to sustain and be resilient to that. We've seen in economic cycles past the boating industry is susceptible to certainly broader slowdowns because it is a discretionary purchase oftentimes. You don't need to have a boat unless, obviously, that's what you do for a living. But in terms of pleasure craft, you don't need to have a boat. Are you concerned about that? How are you planning for that? This is one of the things that I think Boat Setter is so well positioned for, and I'll tell you why. If you look at the rentals that we've had in Florida, and I look at the credit card um, information, seventy over 70% of the rentals that take place here are taking place from locals renting where they live. So as you said, in a downturn or recession, the first thing that will be cut back will be travel expenses, buying new boats. So what does that mean? When things get tight, people are gonna need to offset the cost of that asset, so we'll get access to more inventory. And instead of taking their families traveling, they're gonna look for more activities to do locally. And boating is a wonderful activity to be able to do locally with your family. So I believe that it's not that we're recession-proof, but we are certainly recession resilient. Wouldn't that also drop down potentially the rental cost, the rental fee, and thus affect the revenue that you're able to collect? In other words, more more boats for rent on the market, uh, more supply could drop down that rental number that the buyer is willing to pay. I would be happy to be in that position where I have to adjust my take rate to um, account for the volume coming into the marketplace. I would welcome that challenge. You, you'd be fine by lowering prices with more transactions. Absolutely. That's Boatsetter CEO Jackie Baumgarten. Boatsetter is a peer-to-peer boat rental platform based in Fort Lauderdale. Now, still to come, safety on the water and where that fits into a growing business. As a marketplace, we play a very unique role. We're bringing people together. We're trying to educate, but we are not an enforcement.
Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening this week. There were more boating accidents in Florida than any other state in 2017, according to the latest data available from the U.S. Coast Guard. One out of every six accidents in a boat that year happened in Florida waters. This is the kind of risk inherent in a state with more recreation boats than any other, and it's the kind of risk Boat Setter has to manage as it aims to grow its peer-to-peer boat sharing platform here across the country and overseas. CEO Jackie Baumgarten says her business is not a safety regulator on the water, but it uses its technology and its marketplace of users toward safe boating. If a boat is older than a certain age or goes faster than certain number of miles an hour or has had prior claims, then they're taken to the next level where they may require a survey or a self-survey. And so each boat individually has to be underwritten and approved before it's allowed to go live on the site. And does BoatSetter do that, those kinds of inspections? No, that is done by the insurance company. So for every boat on BoatSetter, an insurance company representative has to come out and visually inspect the boat? That depends on whether or not that boat has met the underwriting criteria box. So if it falls outside of a certain box for underwriting criteria, then added um, inspections are required. And it's up to the boat owner to answer the questions uh, that then decide whether or not they're in the box of the criteria or out of the box? That is correct. Is there any uh, secondary look at those answers? Is there any kind of verification that those answers are truthful? We do not physically go out and inspect the vessels. And so there are very professional seasoned insurance underwriters that are very familiar with the various makes and models of the boats. And they have a list of seasoned questions that they've formed over years of underwriting and dealing with claims. And so they go through their own vetting process and let us know Either if additional information is required, additional photographs of a certain part of the vessel, if there had been a repair, it's, it all is really up to the underwriters, and it varies depending on the vessel. But every peer-to-peer boat that is live and visible on BoatSetter's platform has been approved by our insurance provider. And some of those have been self kind of checked by the boat owner, and some of those have been inspected by the insurance underwriter. That is correct. Yeah. How does Boat Setter ensure that the vessels are appropriately outfitted for each journey, that there's the the PFDs and and all of the other kind of fire extinguishers are on board? I mean, what kind of activity of inspection uh, does Boat Setter have or the insurance underwriter have? What what, what would a, a boat a renter of a personal vessel, uh, what should they expect in terms of having the proper safety equipment on board? So it is the owner's responsibility to ensure that the boat is seaworthy, safe, and has the appropriate safety devices aboard. What we do to help enable that is in our owner's app, when you show up on the day of on the dock, you and the renter will go through a check-in list. And you have to both acknowledge that you have identified where the flares are, where the fire extinguisher is, how many um, flotation devices are on board. And the owner is supposed to tell you how the nuances of the boat work. And, And every boat is unique. So this is a wonderful opportunity for the owner or the captain and the renter to have a direct conversation, to get to know one another, to be able to ask the questions, to feel safe. And I do say this. I tell our owners 
all the time that if you don't feel confident that that individual can command and control the vessel, do not send them out. Call us, we'll find a captain, or we'll get them on another boat that's better equipped given their skill set. What about the requirement that the Coast Guard has in place regarding vessels and captains that, uh, that helm vessels that are carrying a certain number of passengers? What we require is we provide information about what the Coast Guard requirements are. We have developed our technology to help ensure that people are following those rules. For example, if an owner decides that they or a captain, which they have hired, is going to be at the helm, then that captain needs to be a U.S. Coast Guard certified six-back captain, and they cannot take out more than six passengers. So we've actually adjusted the technology where a renter cannot pick a boat and add more than six passengers if it's a boat where the owner has said, I am going to captain the vessel or I'm hiring the captain. Now, bare boat charters have different um, allowances. A bare boat charter? A bare boat charter. A renter takes command and control of the vessel. So the owner is not aboard and the owner's representative is not aboard. In that case, a renter can go out with up to 12 passengers, and the renter can hire the captain of their choosing. So one thing that we do is we offer those renters a list of various captains that they can choose from. These captains have their own profile pages where you can see reviews, you can see pictures of the trips they provided, what kind of experiences they provide. And these are all Coast Guard licensed captains. We are the only marketplace that does an API check into the U.S. Coast Guard database to verify that those captains are currently licensed and have adequately completed their drug test. And then how do you manage the captains themselves to ensure that they are fulfilling their obligations under the regulations? So as a marketplace, we play a very unique role. We're bringing people together. We're trying to educate, but we are not an enforcement arm, and it's not our role or intention to enforce. We provide tools to be able to allow the marketplace to to self-evaluate. So if a captain receives poor reviews from a renter because they didn't have the right attitude or they refused to take the renter to the destination they wanted, then the renter has the ability to be able to score that person and write the review. And this has an impact to whether they stay on the platform and where they show up in the rankings. Have you kicked captains off? Absolutely. Because of poor customer reviews? I have kicked kicked captains off for being late, not showing up on time. Um, and I have kept. That's not a Coast Guard regulation. No, is it? that is a that is a Jackie Boatsetter <laughs> requirement. <laughs> um, you know, our our intention and our mission is to make sure people have a great time on the water, and what we want to do is get as many people exposed to the boating lifestyle as possible. And so, in order to do that, we have to make it as easy and seamless as possible. Speaking with Jackie Baumgarten, CEO of Boatsetter. Now, still to come, how peer-to-peer boat rental platforms could help buoy the boating industry. The average the average age of a boat owner is 55 years and aging. And the marine industry is really looking at a very dark future if they don't find a way to bring in younger demographics.
We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. More than a quarter of a million new powerboats were sold in the United States in 2017, according to the National Marine Manufacturers Association. It was the best year in a decade for boat sales. Spending on boats hit a record as well, $39 billion. Nationwide, almost 1 million used boats changed owners, the highest number since before the Great Recession. This is all the supply side of the business model that Boatsetter is building as a peer-to-peer boat rental platform. CEO Jackie Baumgarten thinks if she's successful, her company's technology will help boost the overall marine industry. What we have historically seen, when you look at the boating industry, the average age of a boat owner is 55 years and aging. And the marine industry is really looking at a very dark future if they don't find a way to bring in younger demographics. And so what Boat Setter is all about is making boating accessible and affordable and fun. And through the technology and the way we've approached it, we have successfully been able to bring in younger demographics and more diverse demographics. Like I am super proud to share that 79% of our renters are under the age of 45, 54% are under the age of 35, and the one I'm most excited about is that 34% of our renters are women. So talk to me about that. How does that compare to boat owners? <laughs> it's very different. Yeah. Imagine 58-year-old Caucasian male is your typical boat owner. Uh, I'd have to look at the stats. National Marine Manufacturers Association releases them. But I do believe that female boat ownership is it's definitely less than 10%. And a third of those folks using your platform are women. Correct. How do you explain that, and how does that translate for the marine industry specifically, an industry that is so vital here in South Florida? I feel what we're doing is providing the easiest gateway and access to boating in the marketplace. It's very daunting to reach the point to decide, okay, I'm going to make the major investment into buying a boat, maintaining a boat, finding the slip. And a lot of people wouldn't even think about doing that unless they had had prior experiences on the water. So we have to get people into their first boating experience. And we make it easy because we provide the captains, we provide curated experiences. You can choose to go out for four hours at a time, eight hours at a time. We make the commitment and the threshold to getting into boating as simple and low as possible. And that, I believe, will eventually fuel boat ownership. As a matter of fact, we have people calling in all the time saying that they're considering buying a boat, but they want to know what kind of boat they should buy that people will want to rent because they're going into the purchase decision with the mentality that they're going to offset the cost of ownership through Boat Setter. What kind of competition are you seeing from boat clubs and fractional ownership? Uh, where folks are able to be involved in boat ownership but not take on the cost of a vessel by themselves alone? So I'm a strong believer that any type of of structure or service that's going to get more people exposed to boating benefits all of us. Whether it's a boat club, whether it's fractional ownership, all of it is focused on getting more people involved in the boating lifestyle. I'm a huge proponent of a Freedom Boat Club, Carefree Boat Club, Now, they are very different models. We are on the cusp of springtime in the north or in the United States. So the season, the boating season will be picking up in the weeks ahead. What does it look like for you in terms of the number of transactions that you're expecting to be conducted over the boat setter platforms? 
It's a tough question to answer. Depending on what these operators transact, those can be thousands of transactions that are taking place through our software, but not necessarily on BoatSetter's platform. So let's just talk about the BoatSetter platform. You know, we'll, we'll be looking at between 10 to 30,000 transactions this year. That's BoatSetter CEO Jackie Baumgarten. The company is based in Fort Lauderdale. Pilar Ribe is our technical director. Katie Lepre, our engagement producer. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. 